0: Q Playback. Welcome back to Q Playback, the podcast looking at the development of music technology, songwriting and production from the 1990s through to today. Uh, Today I have a guest, uh, Peter King, a Melbourne-based musician. Before we jump into your background, Peter, I think we met somewhere around 2016. Um, Yeah, about then, yeah. We um, had a mutual friend uh, who's in one of my bands, and we were sharing um, a show at the Brunswick Hotel, Rest in Peace. What we normally do is start off with what was in the Australian charts. the year that time I met the person. I think by 2016, charts were almost completely irrelevant. I was going to say, I would have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll go over them all the same. Number one, Adele, 25. Sure. Number two, Ed Sheeran, X. Number three, 1989 by Taylor Swift. Uh, number four, Purpose by Justin Bieber. And number five, uh, title by Megan uh, ta- Trailer Traitor excuse yep. me um, so compared with some of the charts that we've looked at in the past from say the 90s there's no Australian artists in the top 5 It's actually uh, takes all the time down to number 25 to find Walking Under Stars by the Hilltop Hoods so we did actually get some uh, some Australian hip hop in there um, but do you think that's maybe indicative of how um, the American music industry and their promotion networks in Australia have really sort of slowly but surely edged out the local content?
1: Absolutely. I, I think um, look, we're talking technology and the, the big thing in the background here is always going to be the internet mm. and the way you get access to everything now. And so we're talking 2016. Um, see, I knew every single one of those artists that you mentioned Personally, because- so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we hung out a lot um, from teaching. Um, so I would teach primary school kids um, whatever they wanted to learn. And
0: mm.
1: um, rather than prescribe, you know, oh sweet, we're gonna do smoke on the water because that's what I learned when I was 10. You yeah. know? Um, And so, yeah, that was the sort of stuff that I was transcribing for kids um, at the primary school. And they'd talk to me about movies that they'd seen in Mm -hmm. particular. That's where they got a lot of the exposure. Um, And video games and, uh, yeah, all sorts of things like that. The internet, memes, Mm. a lot of meme songs.
0: On the subject of memes, um, I found it fascinating that... One of my favourite favorite indie bands, uh, Life Without Buildings, had a surprise comeback as a meme on TikTok. Yeah, right. Um, so suddenly all these teenage girls miming along to um, early 2000s indie rock from Scotland. Yeah. Um, compl- I, I did not see that coming. Um, so when we first met, we were sharing a gig. We were playing at the Brunswick Hotel and... Um, and that project, Mouse Capades, what can mm-hmm. you tell us about Mouse Capades?
1: Okay, so that was my first uh, solo project, as far as originals go, um, where I actually got to the stage of releasing something. Mm. Um, I mean, you know how it goes you join a band and then you realize bands suck, <laughs> and then uh, eventually you get around to doing it yourself. Um, but what was very different for that one, what got me sort of over the line with actually uh, releasing music and gigging it um, and ticking, ticking it off the list, you know, um, was I approached the songs with a different um, mentality that um, I stripped everything back to just me on guitar and vocals and then everything that I did from there was like uh, a version of the song. So the idea of um, what a song is being just lyrics and chords mm. and that was it. And then the palette that I chose to paint the um, the sound um, of that band um, was arbitrary, you know. Mm. It was what I wanted to do but um, it allowed me to do it because it didn't lock in this idea of oh, my God, that's the song and it's finished now and is that really the genre you want to do? It's like, no, this is just the version that I've done of it mm. and the version that people are going to hear.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really healthy approach to take to um, songwriting. Uh, for my money, I, I feel like it's a bit of what a, um, an electro-pop kind of influenced um, recording, maybe a bit like Decemberists. Would that be a...?
1: Sure. Um, I <laughs> What was I listening to at the time that gave me that sort of... Vibe, um, honestly, can't tell you. Uh, but it was just me and a guitar, and then everything else was um, MIDI. Okay, so uh, there's a few sort of live drum sounds ish, um, but a lot of electro stuff, um, that's not supposed to replicate real instruments, you know. but otherwise, that was just me, and it was actually just uh, an acoustic guitar. I had one mic and one guitar. Nice. So all the electric guitar stuff uh, was just my acoustic, um, just plugged DI. Um, yep. So once again, just get rid of that whole indecision when you, you get paralysis.
0: Um, and and it can, you can have that as a musician and as a producer uh, or being self-produced because... Uh, it's very easy to get into the, I must have this next piece of gear to do something properly. I must have that kind of microphone. I should have that preamp. Um, as a producer, I have certain tools that I use all the time, mm. uh, but I certainly don't fall prey to that industry idea of you must have something for it to be a, uh, inverted commas, real
1: production. Yeah, for production. Sure. Yeah.
0: Um, While we're still in Mouscapades, I've got to say that um, one of the songs on that EP, I did think, oh, I wish I'd written that one, and that was Fled. I really liked Fled, Uh, so well done on that one. Is there a a story behind that at all or Um, just came out of writing or jamming?
1: Look, I I remember writing that in my basement um, and at the time I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. Uh, um for a lot of people that listen to that recording and having it at the end, it was like, oh yeah, got to the end and it's like, yep, yeah, there it is. Um, but as far as the song itself, it's pretty simple um, and definitely took the approach of you've got an idea of a person rather than completely autobiographical. Yeah. Um, and you know a whole bunch of different relationships all combined into just something that fits for a narrative um because yeah that was another thing i'd been struggling with was um how personal to get with your own lyrics and then you end up doing nothing so so instead you go all right well it's not uh, true story it's just an idea of that person or like an idea of a movie even yeah. um so it's a very cliched sort of um uh it's just a boy girl love song you know but it works it works absolutely yeah. yeah i i did think a lot about coldplay and their approach to um a real just poppy simple lyrics simple rhymes things yeah. like that um and yeah like I said, it works when you do it well enough.
0: It, it's an interesting thought on um, how personal to get. Um, I think I write fairly emotional songs. Um, a lot of my day to day experiences in community, I can't get too personal, mm. but I can't help but be impacted by those stories. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's a case of framing things in a, a kind of poetry so that you can still tell the story, but maybe people can't identify a face from the description, so...
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, um... Was it Joanna Newsome? You know Joanna Newsome? Yeah. Um, one of her lines that I loved was, uh, never get... Oh, let me get it right now. <laughs> never get too attached to a poem that you forget truth that lacks lyricism.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, I did listen to... One of my favourite bands, uh, most recent albums and the first couple of songs was like, Wow, is he all right? Yeah. Is he still married? Yeah. <laughs> like um and and he is, but like it's like, whoa, that's, that's brutal. Either. Yeah. It it's either a bold, uh, courageous display of themselves mm. or it's very good writing. Yeah. That gives yeah. that feeling. Um, yeah.
1: And so I did the same sort of thing with um, the previous um, band um, that I actually, you know, got to the stage of releasing music, uh, which was Caractacus, and that was uh, instead of writing personal stories, it was like comic book stuff. Mm. You know, it was stories about like a, a zombie goldfish that comes back to seek revenge on all the cats.
0: You've got to have things that people can relate to. That's so. right. You know, yeah, real
1: world grounded sort of <laughs> yep. stuff every day. Yep. Um, yeah, and for me, that was um, that was freedom, realising that if I'm writing for something else, then, um, yeah, I don't get too stuck in my head.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and had a very similar uh, experience more recently writing stuff for, like, uh, musicals where the lyrics are serving a very specific role, which is to tell a story that's going to also be backed up by action on the stage. Mm. So then there's no need to worry about uh, if people are going to understand the meaning because you get to rhyme really, really simple. I'm walking down the stairs and something, something, there's three bears. (laughs) And that will be in the Goldilocks musical, you know... um,
0: and when's your writing workshop coming up, Peter? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had to go to um, dictionary.com and thesaurus.com a few times in in the years uh, to get classics like Bears and Stairs.
0: And, and uh, now we'll just be able to hand it over to AI.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So what would be your first memories of recording or even just playing instruments? Uh, Because you've got some recording background, but you've also got a a broader musical background.
1: Yeah, so I used to play... um, I used to play piano at people's houses. That's my first memory of um, playing music. And I had a a mouth organ. And so I would pick up the little... um, TV show themes, uh, The Bill, (laughs) EastEnders, so um, yeah, I grew up in London um, originally, Um, and so I pick out that sort of stuff by year, and it wasn't until I was 16 when uh, I started playing guitar because I got into metal, Yep. and that's a pretty um, common sort of thing. Um, As far as uh, recording goes, I did do the four-track thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, from Crime Converters um, and that... For our overseas listeners, that's a reference to
0: Cash Converters, <laughs> which is a second-hand um, chain store uh, in Australia.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, recording on a four-track um, in just in my bedroom with a microphone that would have been oh god where did i get that from it's just something that was lying around the house you know no brands no nothing just um i can't believe it worked but um yeah got some things happening but um i i was kind of at this uh so when would this have been like around 2000 99 2000 mm-hmm. the digital age was coming yeah And so it was, if you were going to invest some money into something, I didn't know which way to go. You know, I was 18, 19, and that was um, a really, really sort of interesting time to sort of see the digital things happening. And uh, then there's still that four track um, cash converters that you go, you know what, I'll just start here. And then uh, we'll pay close attention to the specs that I might need in the future my 460 x 266 yep, you
0: know. excellent um, and that's probably a good move for, at that point because um most of the easily accessible digital technologies were really still based around a four track and some maybe endless tracks of MIDI but um, you're not extensive you're looking at pretty expensive systems that were going to mm. be doing anything more than you know four or eight tracks of digital and Uh, Because my transition to digital was about 1998, and that was the precursor to Cubase, which was called Cubasis. Okay, yep. Um, Yep, and I think, you know, uh, while I was able to do more with sampling and MIDI through that process, um, learning on a four-track was, you know, what gave me the headspace to understand what I was doing in the digital space.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was all... um me there was so much ignorance um that uh I, I can remember learning all these things because once again we didn't have the internet to look them all up and you just did things and then you found out later when you burnt something down that oh that's not a good idea but um things like uh, uh the old um speaker cable being different to an instrument cable yep and we had um did you ever do the sleep out sales at music junction
0: i did you did yes.
1: excellent so <laughs> uh,
0: so once again uh, music junction it does still exist yes yeah. um a store in the eastern suburbs of melbourne i'm not sure if they went right around australia or not but um and once a year they would have their um clear out sale So things would be marked at ridiculously low prices, but you had to be there at, what time would they open the doors? About six in the morning or something ridiculous. Oh no, they opened
1: the doors at nine, but you had to sleep out the day before, yeah. Or a week before the Blackburn one.
0: Everyone had their um, numbers in the line and everyone had to try and respect the number in the line. Yeah. um, But the only thing I remember getting from any of those was uh, a compressor pedal.
1: Okay. no, we we cleaned up a few years. Um, we did first the Campbell one, mm-hmm. and I got a Behringer Virtualizer for fifteen dollars. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: so that was around four hundred dollars retail, I think, at the yep. time. So that was my sort of first um, foray into effects. And so this is a rack mounted unit, mm. not a pedal board or anything like that. Um, so it wasn't terribly practical for, you know, playing in a heavy metal band um, unless, you know, you had the full rack set up yeah. and uh, the tuner and, and everything like that. Surely
0: you had a quad box by then. <laughs>
1: um, I didn't quite, but um, the other thing I did get um, from the Blackburn one was, uh, I've still got it, so it's a Marshall DSL 401. So it's a 40-watt, valve amp okay the dual super lead um series and at the time i was like 40 watts what is, oh man it's got to be <laughs> i want 100 watts or you know something like that and i had no idea how loud valve amps were so yep. 40 watts was plenty but what we um, needed more importantly than that was a bass amp because um, we had a few you know medium-sized combos already. So we also picked up for $15 a SovTech 15-inch base bin.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: So just chunky, boom. Um, and what we did was we ran the Marshall into the SovTech. What? And so that's what, that was my base rig. Um, and so... This comes back to that whole um, speaker cable thing. Um, <laughs> we just used a regular guitar lead.
0: Guitar lead, mm-hmm.
1: and um, the first band I was playing in was a Deep Purple tribute. So I was playing bass in this tribute and cranking this 40 watt Marshall amp into a big fat Sovtek 15 um, inch, and it sounded fine. It sounded really good. Mm-hmm. But over the years, it lasted a long, long time. Um, and it was maybe I reckon it was probably four years until um the light turned off on the amp. And I mean, I remember it getting hot, Mm. I definitely remember you know, um, putting my drink down on top of the thing and going, Hey, this is (laughs) this is some serious heat here. But um, I didn't, I had no idea. Like I said, this idea of. Ignorance, You know, we had no idea and we didn't know anybody to talk to about music. We didn't have a community. We were just guys in a, you know, in a garage um, setting fire to Marshall <laughs> Amps. And so it, the light switched off. It wouldn't go on. And I'm like, ah, oh, I know what this will be. This will be the fact that the valves need replacing every now and again. Yeah. So I took it to Soundworks and the guy opened it up and he's like, mate, this is cooked. <laughs> what have you done to this? And I was just embarrassed and I, I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's just <sighs> definitely didn't say, yeah, I've been playing bass through it with a um, guitar lead. Yep. Um, And so the amp, I think, ended up needing about $900 of repair. Ooh. What was the
0: retail on those though? Uh,
1: 1800. Okay. So at the time I was just like, this is uh, still a good deal. It's pretty much cost me half price. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've learned a very valuable <laughs> lesson.
0: Wow. Um, so we've gone into a little bit of how you write or how you wrote for Mouse Capades, but you've, aside from playing in bands, you've also got a wider musical uh, life engagement. What do you want to tell us about that?
1: Uh, look, What do you want to know? Um, Play a whole bunch of instruments um, and been teaching for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interested in composition and processes. So the idea of um, everybody having their own process, um, and changing it all the time. So, um, whatever you need to get started on a song, you know, just, um, like you're using prompts here mm. to keep the discussion going. Yep. Um, we do the same thing when we're, um, composing or any art form. Yep.
0: Without know. the prompts, there'd be a really uncomfortable silence between us.
1: It would be. And I'll just be looking at the guitars yeah. and I'll just hanging around here going, oh yeah, I want to pick that up in a minute. <laughs> um, but... I did um, my uh, master's a few years ago and really looked at the concept of adaptation. And for me, um, having uh, an outside force to tell me what I should be doing rather than doing something for myself um, really works well. So, you know, you. you go to university and pay people money to put a gun to your head to make you do the thing that you love mm. um, but it's because it's for an assignment that that's I'll get it done then yeah. otherwise won't do anything. Um, so yeah, I did this thesis and uh, looked at um, Broadway musicals and the idea of adapting something and uh, what makes an authentic adaptation. So when you, you're thinking about um, with music, um, how I said before about with Mousecapades, it was like painting these songs in a different palette um, and justifying it because of the... Uh, um, it's just chords and melody. Hmm. And then this is a version of the song. Um, so what I came up against here with this idea of adapting things and trying to get an authentic version of... Um, you know, a reinterpretation, my own sort of version um, without straying too far from the source material, Mm. Um, I uh, had to find ways of validating that. So um, I was adapting a movie and I took the script and put it side by side with the lyrics as I was uh, working through it. And uh, the more lines that I could get from the actual movie into the lyrics and I'd just highlight them and go, all right, that one's an actual quote Mm. and that one rhymes great, awesome, that works. And the more lines that I could get in there, um, the better. And eventually I had something that I felt was a valid adaptation of that script, you know, and then um, that justified it for me. Mm. Um, so this, this idea of, like I said, having an external sort of thing to, um, to validate the process mm. and help me make decisions.
0: That would have been a fairly intimidating process, wouldn't it, to, to put that up for someone else's scrutiny? Because, uh, on a small scale, you've got, uh, say people do cover versions or people release cover versions of, of songs that they love and, you know, sometimes, People love them. Sometimes people hate them. Sometimes people call it sacrilegious. That yeah. um, Simple Minds did a um, you know, electronic version of uh, "Love Will Tear Us Apart." Is it sacrilege? <laughs> uh, yeah. How did you, um, how did you find that process and that feedback?
1: Look, I this was a, a musical comedy, so as soon as you do comedy, it's like, well, it's supposed to be funny, so. You know, you can get away with a lot more um, brushing things off, you know, because you know you're mucking around, you know it's all whatever and so you can't be funny and awesome and brilliant always. All of them. At the, all of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think that definitely helped um, that there's definitely a lot of rhymes that you'll use that you can hear coming. You can hear, you can hear the punchline coming. Yeah. Um, because of the the word that you set up um, to be rhymed with it, um, and that I've always sort of um, fallen back on my sense of humour, mm. and uh, it, it yeah helps me, like I said, justify things. You know, if I'm getting a few laughs in there, then mm. that's okay.
0: And does that help in the classroom as well when you've been teaching?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. I was very lucky, I think, compared to a lot of the other teachers uh, who taught the more classical sort of instruments. Um, Teaching guitar, you know, you're a rock star before you get started. (laughs) And, um, yeah, uh, the whole sense of humour things, uh, yeah, pretty important for kids.
0: So what were some... You were saying that um, kids... um will draw on all these different sources for the music that they're interested in. So Mm. what were some of the big ones that you had over your teaching time?
1: Those five that you mentioned were huge. Um, Maybe not so much Megan Trainor, but Ed Sheeran um, and uh, Adele. Mm -hmm. Um, The one that I feel has been solid throughout uh, the whole time when I've been teaching guitar so it was about 20 years at the one school and in that time, AC/DC, 100% every year. Just it's the w- artist
0: or a particular song?
1: All of them. Just Well, I mean, the singles, you know. Um, I've honestly never sat down with um, the full albums with ACDC. It's just, why would you when there's so many singles that you can just go from a greatest hits collection? Um,
0: I, I remember seeing... Um, Angus Young interviewed once and uh, the interviewer was like, haven't you just made the same album 12 times? Mm. And he said, I think you'll find it's 13. 13. 13, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, look, if it's not broken. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, they were the one that sort of stuck through and there was other bands that sort of came in. There was um, a lot of Chilli Peppers around the Californication and um, what was it, um, By The Way, that sort of era. Okay. Um, and uh, Green Day mm-hmm. kept popping up. Yep. But uh, for the bands that, you know, obviously came from their parents, um, it was definitely uh, ACDC that was sold all the way through. And they'd come up in movies as well. So mm. they'd be reinvented, you know, Highway to Hell, just yeah. scream cinematic moment, and it's been used over and over again. School of Rock, yep. you know, there's been a lot of those sort of movies... Um, that and the animations like sing and um oh, i can't remember any of them at the moment but kids would watch these movies and they go do you know this song yep. and i'm like yes i do we can definitely do that
0: there was a stage when i was uh singing the frozen soundtrack on mm-hmm. ukulele to my daughter while she was in the bath yeah uh, that was kind of like the bribe yep yep get through the bath wash your hair
1: yeah Let it go, let it go. And uh, the Shrek movies had really good soundtracks as well. So they would come through with a lot of the uh, 70s and um, uh, I'm a Believer and Funky Town and all all those ones came through. Um, We did one year... um, So what I would do is I would uh, always throw in a few of my suggestions and uh, one year we did Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. So we did the solos and everything. Mm-hmm. So there was about so what, what 30 age, guitars. what age were these? Uh, sort of? Grade four to six.
0: Okay, so that's a pretty big ask for grade four to
1: six. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, kids are so capable when you actually give them a challenge and you present it in a way that's um, achievable. Excellent. So, um, yeah, we did that. We did um, Hotel California another year. mm mm-hmm. um, And once again, we did the solos and everything, you know, and it was fantastic.
0: Did you go so far as to try and teach anyone bass lines from Red Hot Chili Peppers songs?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You you get some kids come through and um, if they had their lesson by themselves, you could do a little bit more. Mm. Um, A few of them had electric guitars and some of them ended up with a bass at some stage. Um, But, you know, it's... um, the bass lines actually are one of the biggest things that sort of come through in the modern pop songs mm. as uh, being remotely related to the, the guitar um, as opposed to everything else on the song, which is all um, keyboards and um, MIDI stuff. Um, so we'd often end up playing just the vocal lines, so right. just getting the yeah. melodies.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and sometimes kids would not even notice that there was no guitar. I go, can, can you tell what we're playing right now? We're playing the bit that he's singing, you know. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the guitar? <laughs> I go, there's no guitar in this song, <laughs> you know. There's, they've probably never even seen a guitar. This is just yeah. what it is. Uh Yeah. And
0: as far as music scenes or music communities, um, so what age were you when you uh, moved to Australia? I was eight. Eight. So you probably weren't quite old enough to appreciate the differences in music scenes by that stage. No, not
1: at all. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I had a, a good grasp of what Australian music was um, for years. Yeah. Um, because, like you said, there's the, the whole American and British um, everything here. Mm. Um, And it took me a long time before I sort of felt I had a a grasp on um, what that, yeah, what that really was. And for me, it's the, in excess, you know, um, cold chisel, Mm. that sort of era that says Australia to me. and not so much the um, the newer Silverchair, Powderfinger, you know, mm. they're fantastic. But um, as far as screaming out Australia, mm. it's the, the 80s sort of stuff that has that little bit of cheesiness and pop, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more identif- easily identifiable, the, um, I guess, Australian pub rock for yeah. uh, one of a better phrase. Yeah. Um, But I think it also was probably reflecting uh, how people sought entertainment at the time as well because Mm. um, it wasn't instant access to streaming. Um, You weren't really in a massive competition between um, home video and um, computer games. I mean, they were around a bit. People would go down the pub and watch a band and Mm. have dinner. Um, I'm not one to think of... I, you know, hark back to the glory days, um, but it's just re- remarking on that difference that um, there was a different kind of culture, and that's how people—I uh, don't know if you say engaging with art, yeah—but yeah. engaging with some kind of culture. Um, and I think that um, interest is now diversified across lots of different forms, which I don't think is neither is either good or bad, but just what the way are and how music plays a part in that I think has to change I think it's a, it's a struggle mm. for a lot of musicians definitely
1: is and the whole um COVID lockdown thing um as we we're saying before you know now um all I'm doing is covers which is fine for me you know I'm working on original stuff experiments and stuff um at home but gigs wise it's just covers and they're the safe bets for the venues yeah You know, trying to open up um, and put on live uh, music has just been a nightmare for them. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they're just going, right, what's your tribute show? This. Okay, yes, we can guarantee we'll get a crowd. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it it was interesting how uh, COVID affected some people. Obviously, some people started um, streaming or trying to set themselves goals and other people had pretty much just shut everything down because uh, the live aspect was so much a part of it for them mm. um so even for uh my band hidden currents uh, who we played with mousecapades um we we've got uh, the bulk of a second album recorded yeah but in the intervening years two of the members have had kids yeah so there's yep. now three four four young children mm. um and the idea of if and when we could ever gig again um yeah, it's it's hard to hard to see, and if people would come, yeah, um,
1: who's that after, audience? After you After know? COVID, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you, you can't you can't. Uh, everything's changed, hmm. so it's just all a big unknown, and it's real scary for a lot of people um, who did rely on incomes in the music. Um, World. Um, and they got totally shafted by the government. You know, mm. everyone's at home listening to music and watching all this amazing content on Netflix. And um, the artists were the ones who uh, really got shafted because mm. they didn't have a tax file number that said that they had an actual job. Mm. They just had, uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of gigs every now and again. Yeah.
0: Uh, so between your uh, own musical. Um, projects and teaching, what would you say is your most desperate moment of innovation to get a project or a class through something? Or maybe even on your thesis.
1: Oh, okay. Well, with my thesis, um, so this was during lockdown um, when I actually had to do the recording. Um, And so I'd initially planned on um, networking with people to do um, all the instruments live in the facilities that they had, um, which would have been fantastic experience. And everything went into lockdown and I realised very quickly this is going to be just me, but I'll be able to get some singers maybe. Let's get some singers to do this um, and help them do different characters And so I should probably say the um, movie I was adapting was Fight Club. Okay. So um, it's mostly males and that, but there's also one big female character, Marla Singer. Um, And so I outsourced originally um, to a friend um, for one of the songs and she got back to me in two days maybe. She recorded one of the verses and I had a listen and I'm like, OK, great, I actually want you to change this word and this word and you know what, can we do it like this? And then I went, wait a minute, how many tracks have I got here? How many verses? How many times am I going to be doing This isn't going to work, mm. especially as I was writing it while we were going. So, of course, I had to do it myself. So I ended up doing all the voices, including, um, yeah, Marla. And I think I...
0: In your um, adaptation, does Marla actually have testicular cancer? <laughs> uh,
1: she doesn't, no, but she definitely has parasites in her brain. Right. Um, and, yeah, so I remember um, just down in my basement just screaming um, to get these... High, like I think it was maybe uh, a high G um, above, you know, the 12th fret on the guitar, like mm. right up there. Um, and, yeah, singing about having parasites and um, stuff like that. And there's the the Chloe character as well, um, who just wants to get laid one last time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, my brother, who I was living with at the time, Uh he heard it all and um <laughs> Excellent. so that was um that was a bit of fun it definitely added to the comedy aspect of everything
0: w- will this ever be released to the public
1: oh look there's a lot of um talk <laughs> but um oh man i'd love to put it on one day uh there's a lot of uh red tape to go through and i oh, mm, just cannot be asked with all that it. yeah. yeah it's like oh who owns it fox and who owns fox disney oh sweet yeah i'll just give disney a call <laughs> Um, but, you know, maybe one day, we'll see. That'd be yeah. amazing.
0: Um, and so overall, this time that you've been a musician and singer, teacher um, and, I guess, writer, producer, uh, what would be some of the most important things you've learned through all of those combined experiences? What are the things that sort of um, keep you in good stead on the journey?
1: Learning lots of covers. <laughs> 100%. It, it's the... The best way forwards um in every aspect of your musical journey is just learn more songs um it doesn't get simpler than that really uh, you, you can um if you don't put things into practice then you're not going to get anywhere with mm. them so having just a huge um uh plethora of um what's the word repertoire mm. repertoire yeah yeah Probably the best thing I ever did for myself as a musician was learning... uh, It was about 500 songs in the end that I got down um, with just me and a guitar and figuring out how to do versions that would work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that uh, really helped was uh, picking female vocal songs um, because then I didn't feel like I had to do it in the original key. You start Mm -hmm. doing Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and you go... "Ah!" And you want to do it up there yeah. because that's how it is. Um, and so then you just hate your voice and you you know mm. get really um, down about it. So uh, instead, you start off with a, a female singer. And as a male, I'm like, right, well, I can't get that voice. So I've got to put it in my own register and mm. do a different version straight yeah. away. And then you start doing things like transposing, using your capo properly, learning about other keys, um, down-tuning instruments, you know, all the things that you have to do to get that job done. Mm. Um, And, yeah, things like uh, thinking in terms of uh, functional harmony, one, four, five, that sort of thing. Um, When you learn 500 covers, you start seeing that, everywhere, everywhere yeah. and you can see that you know that four chord song um what is it um the axis of um, awesome evil
0: uh, oh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
1: where they did the um, the medley of there's like 60 songs yeah, yeah, yeah and it's all the same chord progression um when you actually play through a whole bunch of those songs yourself you start to just internalize that mm-hmm. and you can hear your way through um any normal sounding song So then all you need to actually remember are the odd chord changes. Mm -hmm. So that way, um, you know, when I play gigs, um, half the time I'll just have a cursory listen to a song um, and I'll just listen out for, oh, yeah, there's a flat seven in that one and there's, oh, yeah, there's a key change there, but they go, what is it? Oh, yeah, it's a third up. Of course it is. <laughs> you, you just know the standard things and it all came from just learning heaps and heaps of covers. Mm. So it ticks all the boxes for learning um, anything you want to learn music-wise and becoming a useful musician instead of just somebody who, uh, you know, um, there's nothing worse than when somebody picks up a guitar and everyone goes, oh, can you play this? And they go, oh, no, I only play my original stuff. Yeah. And then they, you know, start singing something really awkward and confronting and you're like, yeah, cool, man, thanks.
0: Yeah. That, that could be very much me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Pete,
0: thanks so much for coming in today. No um So what, do you, what can we plug for you? Mousecapades is on Bandcamp.
1: Um, I can't even remember. It's been a long time since I looked uh, looked that one up. Um, look, i got nothing really to plug today, to be yeah. honest.
0: Well, I'll put up some links to um, Pete's music. Sure. And um, if anyone's looking for a player, you can shoot us a line and I'll be sure to get in touch with him. Um, so thanks again, Pete. And um, as always, there is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you're doing.
1: Q Playback.